this plaintive cry, returning once again to Psalm 26. We had Psalm 26 last Sunday in the introit, and we return to Psalm 26 today. But the antiphon of the introit and the melody of the introit are completely different, even though the psalm is the same. Adutor meus esto, be thou my helper, ne delinquas me, forsake me not. Now, the verse of the intro, it is luminous. The antiphon is very plaintive. And it almost seems as if between the antiphon and the verse, grace has dawned on the soul. Because in the verse, we sing, the Lord is my light and my salvation, just having sung, be thou my helper, forsake me not, nor do thou despise me, O God, my Savior. Deep breath, the action of grace, and then, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The college surprises us. It is radiant with hope, being drawn from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, wherein the apostle speaks of things no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no human heart conceived, the welcome God has prepared for those who love him. The collect of this fifth Sunday after Pentecost is drawn, lifted directly from the passage from the first epistle to the Corinthians. And it is a perfect example of how the liturgy begins always from a passage of sacred scripture, from something that God reveals of himself, Liturgical prayer does not begin below, it begins above. And the liturgy begins from a passage of sacred scripture and refashions it into prayer and redirects it to God whence it came in the first place. My word, says the Lord in the prophet Isaiah, does not return to me empty. The word addressed to us, received by us, welcomed by us, changes us, and becomes our word addressed to God. I'm especially touched by the last phrase of the collect, that we, loving thee above all things, may obtain thy promises, which exceed, which surpass, all that we can
can desire. Desire what you will. Desire as much as you will. Desire as recklessly and as extravagantly as you can. Your desire will never come near what God desires to give you. It is by love that we obtain the things that God desires to give us. And in receiving what God desires to give us, we are given infinitely more than we with our short-sightedness. And with our limited desires, would even think of asking of God. This doesn't matter. Even if our vision is impaired and our desires limited, God will give us all that he sees is good for us, and he will give us far more than we can desire, provided that we love him with the love that he himself gives us. It is love that prepares the soul to receive the gifts of God, in the measure that God wills to give them. Love dilates the soul, making it capacious, spacious, able to receive the gifts of God. Looking at the epistle, we see that, although part of the epistle is repeated by St. Benedict in the prologue of the Holy Rule, this epistle is in its own way a commentary on chapter 72 of the Holy Rule. And we do well to hear it and to read it and to repeat it in some way through a transparency of chapter 72 of the Holy Rule on the good zeal. <clears throat> Be ye all, dearly beloved, of one mind, having compassion one of another. Having compassion one of another. Suffering with the brother who suffers. Being lovers of the brotherhood. Fraternitatis amatores. You know the medieval saying that a monk is Amator fratrum et loci et regule, the lover of the brethren and of the place and of the rule, meaning of the way of life. And St. Peter tells us that we are to be fraternitatis amatores, lover of the bond of brotherhood. Not only that, misericordes, merciful, modesti, unassuming, keeping to one's place, humiles, humble, not rendering evil for evil, nor railing for railing. Know what it is to rail against someone rage against someone, 
None of that. But contrarywise, blessing, benedicentes. For unto this are you called. God has called us to be benedicentes, men who bless. It's the meaning of benedictine, isn't it? A benedictine is one who blesses. Who blesses God, that is to say, who praises God, thanks God, and who blesses God for all good things, all that God has given, all that God has created. The Benedictine monk is a man of blessing. Benedicentes, for unto this are you called that you may inherit a blessing. The more we bless God, the more are we blessed. And the second part of today's epistle is taken up by St. Benedict in the prologue of the Holy Rule. The gradual is taken from Psalm 83, which is very appropriately coupled with Psalm 26. If you Pray both psalms, one alongside the other, 26 and 83. You, you can make all sorts of connections. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. And in this Mass, Psalm 83 is put alongside of Psalm 26 in the intro. And we pray in the gradual, Protector noster aspice Deus. Behold, O God, our protector, et respice super servos tuos, and look on thy servants. There's a difference between aspice and respice, isn't there? Aspice is, is looking with a single glance. Respice is to set one's gaze on what one sees. And so we ask God, in the gradual, to envelop us in the radiance of his gaze. We ask not merely for a passing glance, but to be enveloped in the radiant gaze of God. We ask him to turn his countenance towards us. And this is fulfilled for us most wondrously in the Most Holy Sacrament of the Altar. For the Eucharistic face of Jesus is the divine countenance turned towards us and not turning away. When we go before the Most Blessed Sacrament, we are enveloped in the gaze of God. And in that gaze, all good things are given to us. Now the gospel casts its light over chapters 71 and 72 of the Holy Rule. If therefore thou offer thy gift at the altar, 
And there thou remember that thy brother hath anything against thee. It's remarkable that our Lord does not say, and if thou there remember that thou hast something against thy brother. No. He goes more deeply than that. And if there thou remember that thy brother hath anything against thee, leave there thy offering before the altar. Interrupt the liturgy. And go first to be reconciled to thy brother. And then coming, thou shalt offer thy gift. Now this reconciliation implies that the offerer admit that he has offended his brother and kneeling, I would say, ask his brother's forgiveness. Not making excuses, not offering explanations, simply asking for forgiveness. And then coming, thou shalt offer thy gift. Now, the offertory antiphon is often related to the gospel. And in some ways, the offertory antiphon continues the gospel or places in the mouth of one of the figures in the gospel what is sung at the offertory. And so what is the offertory today? I will bless the Lord who hath given me understanding. How has the Lord given understanding? By saying, if therefore thou offer thy gift at the altar, and there thou remember that thy brother hath anything against thee, leave there thy offering before the altar, and go first to be reconciled to thy brother, and then come, thou shalt offer thy gift. That's the understanding that is given. And that's why in the offertory we sing, I will bless the Lord who hath given me understanding, this understanding. I set God always in my sight, for he is at my right hand, that I be not moved. The communion antiphon is a prayer for perseverance in the vow of stability for us monks. I suppose at some level, um, every Christian has to live the virtue of stability. For us monks, it's a vow. But the marriage vow is a vow of stability in its own way. One doesn't go outside the covenanted relationship of marriage. There's stability in marriage. And enclosure in marriage. There's real enclosure. And for us monks, we have stability and enclosure, the object of a vow. And the communion antiphon is a prayer for the virtue of stability, by which virtue we correspond to the vow. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This communion antiphon has for you, Brother Isaiah, as you prepare to make profession in a week's time, 
this antiphon has a particular resonance, doesn't it? One thing I have asked of the Lord, this will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So take this communion antiphon as a kind of remote preparation for your profession next Saturday. And in the post-communion, we shall ask to be cleansed. Holy Communion is, of course, cleansing. Holy Communion is purifying. We ask to be cleansed even of the hidden sins that we ourselves do not see. We don't see our own sins clearly. Even with the, the best and most detailed and uh, carefully made examination of conscience, we see but the tip of the iceberg. But the tip of the iceberg, God sees all the rest. And so we ask to be cleansed even of the hidden sins that we ourselves do not see. That great, weighty mass of hidden sins. And this our Lord does by descending into us in Holy Communion. Every Holy Communion is what theologians would call a passive purification. Have you ever thought of that? Our preparation for Holy Communion is an active purification. Oh, it's the little we can do. Insignificant, really. But Holy Communion itself is the most potent passive communication. God entering in to cleanse us of sins of which we are not even aware. Going down into the roots of those sins, extirpating them, burning them out with the body of Christ. This passive purification of the soul our Lord does also by making the radiance of his divine countenance shine into the secret places of the heart. For this reason, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, and in its own way, Lexio Divina, is a passive purification. We expose ourselves to the radiance of the face of Christ, shining from the pages of the Gospel, shining from the Most Holy Sacrament of the altar. For this to happen, it is enough to abide humbly in his presence. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.